It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God. We thank you for your presence that's here. And thank you that you're a personal God that loves us so deeply. And Lord, you're incredibly concerned about us and incredibly engaged or want to be fully engaged in our lives as we allow you to. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you that God, through this Christmas season, that they will be led to you by the, by the workings of your hand around them through circumstances, through nature, through people, Lord, through the written word, Lord, however is needed. I pray, God, that everyone will find you. And we thank you for it, God. Lord, lead me, help me today to speak your words to your people that your purposes are accomplished in all our lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you beginning this morning and over the next couple weeks um, along the subject of a Christmas journey. A Christmas journey. Finding Jesus in the stars, in the scrolls, and in the stable. And so this morning, I want to I speak to you about the first part of this. And as I dove into this, I realized, my goodness, I, really, this could be studied for <laughs> years, really. That, that's, that's a flat truth. And uh, so we're just going to touch the surface on this. But, um, but a, a Christmas journey. How many of you, how many of you have been on a journey recently? How many, of you like, how many of you like to travel? All right. How many of you like to go to various places? Right? Um, who's, uh, who's traveled to the farthest place? Who? Who's, who's been out of the United States? <laughs> Amen. Um, who says, I? no, I'm not going to, I was going to say, who says I'm never going to fly? I, and I, I've been to places I thought I'm never going to fly again. I, I really felt that. And, and Brother Marvin, if I didn't know Jesus, I wouldn't <laughs> tell you right now. Um, but, you know, the Bible says, lo, I'm with you always. So we might lose it up there, but once we get low again, he's back with us, right? But uh, uh, so what's some of the countries? How many of you, how many of you been to South America? Anybody? Europe. All right. 
Africa, New Zealand, Asia, Singapore. All right. We're talking around, I mean, we're places, you know, halfway around the world. Love to travel. We've been to a lot of places. Lori and I love to travel. Been to a lot of places. If, if there's anything I could do, I think I'd just love to travel and just hit the road, you know, and just go and maybe rely on opportunities to preach around the world. Hey, you know, I, we'll preach for food and housing, you know. <laughs> And uh, go around and, and just see. It's beautiful. I mean, whether you go from, from Florida to the Carolinas to D.C. or been to Montana, Colorado, Alaska. I mean, wherever we've been, it's just been amazing. And whether it's South America, whether it's been El Salvador, Colombia, Ecuador, wherever, um, the Caribbean, Grand Cayman, Tanzania and Africa, Kenya, wherever. I mean, it just all has its unique beauty, and it's just amazing. I mean, just love it. I just want to go. I mean, y'all love those beautiful places, and God's made a beautiful world. And uh, But anyway, uh, to travel, but I'm going to tell you there's no more important, more beautiful journey than that journey to Christ. And, um, and folks, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about pointing, our, our, pointing to Christ, and let's point other people to Christ, and that journey to the Lord, and all of us have had our unique journey to God, the way that he has found us, he sought us out, amen, and has brought us to himself, and we're so thankful for that, right? And so this morning, as we talk about a Christmas journey, we talk about finding Jesus in the stars. And so we're, we're here in Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and I'm going to take you all the way back to the first book of the Old Testament to get started today. And, um, and I just want to say, as we begin, look to the stars, right? And uh, look to the stars. Anybody ever pay attention to the stars? You ever look up, consider the stars? And Man, we've had some beautiful nights and beautiful weather that God's given us. But um, look to the stars. I'm going to look back to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and in this, I think we will see how that God has drawn our attention to the stars since the very beginning, right? Since the very beginning. And look there at Genesis chapter 1, and I'll begin reading at verse 14. And um, this, the, these passages record on day 4 of creation. This is day 4 of creation, just four days in, Okay as we understand them. And let me just pause here to say there's a lot to be said on whether that is a literal 24-hour day or whether that day means a period of time with a specific beginning and a specific ending. Um, I think uh, some great arguments are made. One of the Christian Christians who study science, uh, astrophysicist uh, Hugh Ross, uh, there's some great insights on this if you want to study that. Folks, I'm going to tell you, that, how do you know, there's, there's a lot of things about the Bible, about Scripture, that God just doesn't dive into and give us every intricate detail. There's a lot we don't know. And so, but listen, whether it was some period of time that's represented as a day that was longer than 24 hours or whether it was a literal 24-hour day makes no difference to me. <laughs> it doesn't change the main facts, Right? And so it's interesting to study. You can spend a lifetime trying to figure that out. But the, the end, the bottom line is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Right? That's what it's all about. And so anyway, I go back to this. Um, on the fourth day of creation, God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, 
the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. He also made the stars. Why? Because he said, let them be signs, right? Let them be signs to mark seasons and days and years and to serve as signs in the sky, right? And uh, kind of like God's uh, message board in the sky. But additional insights about the stars, we see at the very beginning, day four, right? And uh, we have this, but additional insights about the stars are given throughout Scripture and various books of the Bible, um, including the, the book of Job. How many of you remember that, that great man of God by the name of Job? And Job, even though Job's book is, is listed uh, in the Scriptures, you know, down the road a bit, near the Psalms, right just before the Psalms, even though it's listed there, Job is actually one of the oldest books of the Bible. In fact, Job, well, all evidences indicate and point to the fact that Job lived in a period just prior to the time of Abraham. And even in the book of Job, early on, right? And Job was a Gentile. Job was, was not a, an Israelite. He was not a Jewish person. He was a Gentile. And even early on, God was speaking to him and telling him about the, the stars and, and constellations. You can read, and I'll mention these quickly if you want to look that up, Job chapter 9. Read through Job chapter 9. Verses 7 through 9 say this. Job asks, who commands the sun? And it does not rise. Who seals up the stars? Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the ways of the sea? How many of you know the answer to that? Who did it? God, right? And who made the Arcturus and Orion and the Pleiades, right? Who made these? The Pleiades and the chambers of the south. You go on in Job chapter 38, 31 through 33. It says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Or loose the cords of the Orion? Can, can you lead forth the Mazareth or the constellations in their season? Or can you guide the bear, the Arcturus, with, with its children? All right, talking, all talking about different constellations that, that we study, that astronomers study, and, and that we've known about for centuries and millennium, right? All of these things have been there. Folks, God placed them there from the beginning. Look to the stars. God is revealing so many things. You go on and you can look into the Psalms and the Psalms give insight. Isn't Scripture amazing? What God has given us in Scripture, isn't it amazing? And um, Psalm 147.4 says that God determines the number of stars and He gives to all of them their names. <laughs> look, there's like a lot of stars. And we can't even see them all. Even with the Hubble telescope, they still can't discover them all. They're, and God created every one of them, and they have purpose, right? They have purpose, and God has named each and every one of them. What an amazing, folks, we're trying to figure out a God that is beyond figuring out. Amen? I mentioned the, the group the other night that, he, that the hairs of your head are numbered. Not only does he know the numbers of hair on your head, they are numbered. <laughs> Amen? Uh, you lost number 147, right? Yeah, they're, they're numbered, okay? God's amazing. 
And so that's why we have we receive him by faith, and God's given us so much evidence to point to him to, to realize there is a God. This whole thing didn't just happen. There had to be a supernatural, all-powerful, all-knowing being who was able to put this thing together. And I'm glad to know who that is, aren't you? Amen. But uh he, he reads a Job, and he goes on to say, Job, another passage in Job 26, 13. It says, by his breath the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the crooked serpent. Another constellation that's recognized. The Psalms gives insights. God determines the number of the stars. He gives them all by names. And then another one says this, Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Isn't that amazing? And since day four, two days, by the way, before man was created, since day four, God set a message board in the sky and wise men and women have been watching ever since, right? God had a purpose in identifying the stars and constellations. And you realize that before that you and I, before we had the written word of God, that God was already speaking things through the stars and through his creation, things that we needed to know, right? Things that could be seen at all times by all people. All around the world, the same message board was being displayed. And that's why in Romans 1, 18 through 20, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by, the who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You can't destroy it, but you can't suppress it. They suppress the truth. For, listen, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible qualities, right? His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen or perceived ever since the creation of the world. Ever since God made the sun and the moon and the stars, it's all been clearly seen, right? And things that have been made so that the Bible says that we're all without excuse. There's no excuse because God has displayed himself in such a tremendous, clear way. But, I mean, literally, we all know the, the, the number of stars in the sky are literally too many to count. It's far more than we can even see. Um, I Just having the privilege of, of growing up in the, in the Ozarks of Missouri, um, it was there where there was, there was no smog issue. <laughs> there were enough people to drive enough cars to have a smog issue. And, and, and there was no artificial, just very little artificial light. And so the nights you could get there and, and just see the beautiful, clear skies. Um, Lori and I, as I said, have had privileges going to places. And you go to remote places of Alaska, like driving to Alaska wasn't enough. We want to take it all in in one trip, you know. And so as well as flying there, we'd travel over 1,500 miles just driving around. Let's see this. Let's see this, you know. And looking up at the night sky, you know, we're just out in the middle of nowhere. There's, there's just, you know, just no artificial light. There's, there's no smog. It's just all clear. Or you go to Tanzania and you go out there in the, in the, just the middle of, 
of nowhere in, in, in Africa, right? And, and you go there. I mean, we were in such a remote place. The first time we took a trip, we went to Tanzania. We traveled from the capital, Dar es Salaam, all the way to the west side. And it was so remote that, that we traveled in, well, a day and a half it took us to get there. And in that entire trip, there were only two possible places for us to stay that was prepared to receive guests. One of them was a Baptist camp. The other one was a snake farm. We stayed at the Baptist camp. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're traveling. But being out there, I'm saying those places where there's just no obstruction. You're out in the middle of nowhere and you look up and you see the stars and they're like, I mean, no smog, no artificial light. You know, I was wondering preparing that message and I came to this point and I thought, I wonder how much of our trouble today it's just the spiritual smog and the artificial light that we have turned on. Folks, let me tell you, God uses people. He uses preachers. He uses people who have the gift of leading in worship. He uses people who are, who are great at studying the word and great commentators and all of those things, right? And all of those stuff. But let me tell you what, they're not the real light. We are only, re- in, just like us, we're just reflections of the light. Amen? But we don't need artificial light. Right? We don't need, listen, all, all this stuff. This is background. How many of you know you can go, we can get, be so engrossed? It's great to be up at the times and new things and fresh things and all this, but even these lights up here, this background and all of that. Folks, if that becomes the focus or it begins to get the attention, that artificial light, it's going to take away from the real light. Come on, are you all with me? If we go to any place and that's all we're talking about, that's all we're moved by is the artificial stuff, we missed it. I want to see the light. I want to see God. Amen? And so, but being in those places, it's just amazing to see the stars and how clear they are and to see God begin to shine through. The point is this, God made them. And he placed them there for a reason, and he's using them. He's used them through the centuries. And people have misused and abused them. How I many you know God has no problem with astronomy, the study of the stars and all that, but there is an issue with astrology, right, where we try to apply all of that and how that it's good, the stars are going to control my life and my future, my destiny. We don't believe in any of that junk, right? And I urge you not to get involved in the horoscopes and all that stuff, right? That's what it is, it's a horoscope, right? You're bound by that. Oh, I, better not, I better not get out of the house today. The stars are not in line. I'm going to... How I many know this? We can wake up as Christians and say, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Doesn't matter what they might interpret the stars. Amen. Are y'all with me? That's just scripture. All right? We're relying on the Lord. But at Christ's birth, among all these stars, and you look up and see them, all the stars, innumerable. At this time, at the birth of Christ, there was a star that stood out. All that. There was a star that stood out. And you know, it's been interesting since the sighting of that star, men have tried to figure out what that star was. <laughs> you hear, we, see how we are at chasing rabbit trails? That's not the important thing. But I mean, listen, people have spent decades of their lives, literally, trying to study and find out what that star really was that'd be interesting to know but how you know there again it doesn't change any of the main facts right some have argued that it 
that it must have been a nova or specifically a supernova, of which there have only been a handful. It was fact, in the year 10, uh, 1054, Chinese astronomers observed an explosion in the sky. And this supernova that was dubbed SN 1054 was visible for two years before fading to what now is known as the, the Crab Nebula. You may have heard of that, right? And they felt like that maybe it was, it was this supernova that came at that time that served as a star that was the guiding point because it's the brightest, like the brightest light, period. Um, brighter even than the sun. And uh, so maybe it was that. Others, including astronomer Michael Molnar, uh, suggest that the conjunction theory might be correct. And that one of the most convincing is an alignment that happened between Jupiter and Saturn, the moon and the sun, in the constellation of Aries, which happened on April 7th of 6 BC. All right? Maybe it was that. Maybe it was that that happened. Maybe that was the star. Um, others just simply believe it was just some, some supernatural phenomena, just supernatural manifestation of God, that God just specifically did something, you know, um, that caused the thing to, to look like a star or that was a unique star that was different than anything else materially or whatever. Um, but, folks, how many, how many know, however it happened, you know, the Bible says that God led the Israelites in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He led them. That's how they knew where to go, okay? And so now we talk about a guiding star. Folks, let me tell you, whatever the case, they knew what it was. They recognized it. They followed it, and it accomplished the purpose for which God intended. And how we know it would be just as supernatural if it happened to be an arrangement of constellations, you know, uh, the, the sun, the moon, Jupiter, Mars, all that lined up, if that directed them at that time, or if it happened to be a supernova. How we know God knows the names of the stars. He made them. He's in control of them. And if God at that time caused a very rare event, Event called a supernova at, at that time and caused it to lead the wise men. So be it. How many know that's just a supernatural? Amen? It's supernatural. And so we believe in a supernatural God. He's in control of all things. In other words, it's beyond what man can do. And so they're, they're doing all of these things trying to figure out. But whatever the star was, the wise men, they saw it. They recognized it as having great significance. They were convinced of its meaning and they were determined to follow it. And that's the main thing. They were very dogmatic, if you notice through this. They were very dogmatic and very matter-of-fact about the star. And they, they, they came to Jerusalem, to Herod's court, with some very specific questions and, and, and convictions of what they felt about this star. They come in asking, hey, you know, have you all seen this thing in the sky. Do you have any idea what that is? No. They came into Herod's court saying, where, where is he? Where, where is he? Where's the newborn king of the Jews? I mean, that's probably why they went to Jerusalem to begin with. That's the capital. Where would the king be other than the capital? They go, where is he? What, what are you Where's who? Where's the king of the Jews? What are you talking about? Well, we, we saw his star. <laughs> we saw his star and we have come to worship him. They didn't come asking a bunch of, folks, are y'all getting this? Are you getting what God is doing here? 
and how he is drawing people, people from the far land, people from the east, right? He's drawing them, and they had, they had come a great distance. They didn't just walk across the street. You know, it wasn't like just taking the 1,700 lights the other side of Covington. It wasn't that. It was, you know, how many of y'all feel like sometimes 1,700 lights? You just feel like, you know, you're going to want some days like hit every one of them, you know. But um, <laughs> it wasn't like that. We, we're, we're so, I, I like convenience. Anybody else like convenience, you know? How many know this was not a convenient journey? It took a lot of preparation, a lot of time, and they were so convinced that they traveled that long distance from the east, perhaps from the area of Persia and all of that, and they come in. And, and, and let me ask you, so they're there. Have you ever asked yourself, what caused these guys to look in the sky for a specific star to begin with? Anybody look for any specific star lately? <laughs> Huh? There had to be a reason. How many of you recently you've you've looked up uh, what some of the some of the events that's happened recently? Something special in the sky. Some of the planets. What was one of the planets we saw a few months back? Anybody remember? What was it? Venus, right? How many of y'all were talking about it on the news at certain certain times? Certain, right, you could see it. And so all of a sudden we're looking up at the sky. Why? Because we were we heard some message about where Venus was going to be, right? Otherwise, we don't typically, other we're just laying out at night, just, you know, just gazing at the stars. Uh, we don't typically study it and looking for something specific. Yeah, you look right? So what caused them to look for a specific star? You've got to go back in time for about 14 or 1,500 years. And you'll find a Gentile prophet he was messed up, but somehow at times his connection with God was there <laughs> by the name of Balaam. There's a number of chapters, there's a, there's a few chapters, maybe two, three, four chapters. It, it, how many remember Balaam? How many remember Balaam's donkey? You know, how many remember the talking donkey? That's Balaam. We remember that, right? And that, that whole story, because uh, King Balak was was uh, he was threatened by Israel as they were moving in, and so he wanted to he wanted to overpower them and bring a curse on Israel, and and so he knew about Balaam's uh, uh, reputation about hearing from God, and he calls Balaam in in hopes that Balaam would come and curse the Israelites, and and he would win a great victory and be protected, and all of this. He calls Balaam. It's that Balaam, the Balaam who was who God kept trying to get his attention, couldn't get his attention. Finally, had his own donkey to talk to him, and uh, and and so, folks, it's in the Bible. It's there. I believe it. I believe a, bio, a, a donkey literally talked. Yeah, amen. And uh, supernatural things. We serve a supernatural God, right? And, um, and so God, God did this and got his attention. It was this Balaam who at the end, he prophesied and he had this, this connection. It was a clear word from God and it's recorded in the scriptures. You look there, Numbers, write this down, Numbers 24, 17. Numbers 24, 17. Okay? And this is what Balaam says. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter, meaning a king, shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. <laughs> Right? You get that? I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come. 
a star shall come. And this was in them, and this was one of their own prophets. Balaam was of the, of the prophets of the whole Persian area and may have been the whole beginning of the, the whole magi and magicians of that day and that time and, and, uh, and was so highly respected by the people. And, and so somewhere this is, this, is, this is in their minds, and they're looking at it. It's important. Also, folks, listen, how God has spread his word. He's trying to reach you. How many of you know, know God has gone to great lengths to reach you and to reach me. He has set up circumstances to find us, to seek us out, right? And, and so God is, has been doing this. And he's, 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 he's used Israel to try to reveal himself to the rest of the world. And you remember that God even allowed, because Israel fallen so deeply into sin, they were, they were just failing to be the light that God had intended for them to be. And he turned them over, and, and the, the people were taken away captive. Among them was a young man by the name of Daniel. And they were taken off. This territory becomes Persia and, and all of this land, right? And, and he's taken there, and Daniel survives through four different dynasties. He's raised up, considered, would be considered a wise man, a magi. Though he wasn't into magic, like they would get a magician, like they would perceive, right? But he had gifts from God that were totally accurate, and everybody respected him. That's how you can survive four kings. You're not going to mess with a guy like that. And you're not going to lose a guy that has that kind of time. I mean, you're all time stupid if you do that. So they're, they're holding on to him, and he survived all those times. And all the prophecies of Daniel were there. Do you remember a lady by the name of, the, of Queen Esther? And how that the king was going to destroy the Jewish people. And, and God intervenes, and, and, and through Esther's uncle, mine's blank, Mordecai, right? And, and Mordecai challenges her, encourages her, prays for her. And together they go in, and, 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 and God spares the Jewish people in a miraculous way. That's all happening in Persia. Over here in the, in the, or in the east, right? In those countries, in the eastern countries. And so they are well acquainted with the scriptures, with prophecy that had been foretold hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago and they're studying it. Listen, they have to know these things because in many cases their lives depend on it. Do you remember Pharaoh in Egypt? I mean, he demands for them to, to bring, he, he has a dream, it disturbs him, and they demand, he demands an answer, right? And there's no guessing. And some of them, the, the kings even demand them, not only to interpret the dream, some of the kings demand them to tell him what he dreamed and the interpretation. And some are flat out, just, they say, that's ridiculous. No king's ever asked such a thing, right? That happened. I mean, Pharaoh operated that way. The kings of Persia operated. Nebuchadnezzar operated that, operated that way. Um, the, whole, the, whole, the whole group of them, right? Do you see the magi were so important? The wise men were so important. They were leaning on them, relying on them. And so that's why they had, those, that's why they had to know everything that they could know about, about cultures. And Scripture was so respected. Israel was so respected, right? The things that God had done with them had elevated them. And how do you know today that scientists, even that deny God, are still looking to the Bible, try to get some direction, secretly doing that? How do you don't realize it, Right? That's how important these guys are. And 
the background of all of that and how God had had influence over the people of the East. And it's interesting that they're the ones that acknowledged and saw the star. Not God's own people. And church, that's where we have to be careful. Because we can be so close to something and become, become so familiar with something, we take it for granted. And we're not watching and we're not valuing like we should. I grew up, as I said, in the Missouri Ozarks. And it's just a place to live, just a place to grow up. Hills and streams and white oaks and whatever, just a place to grow up. And I really didn't recognize what I had until I left. And now I go into that place and you go in there in the fall and you see the changed leaves and the colors all over those Ozark mountains. And you go onto the farm and you see the, the springs coming out of the sides of the, of the hills, right? And you walk through those things and the peacefulness and quiet and you say, my goodness, this was a beautiful place. This is a beautiful place. But you didn't really see. How many of you, how many of you have had things close by you that other people drive a long way to see and you just take it for granted because it's right there? Anybody, anybody ever done that? Well, that's kind of what Israel did. But these wise men who'd been studying the stars and who had studied the scriptures and studied the prophecy, they saw his star, the star that stood it out, that stood out. And they had saw it in the east, and for whatever reason, it seems that it was not visible to them. They were not able to see it for whatever reason. It didn't reveal until they came here and they talked with Herod. And when they left Herod's court, the star they saw it again, or it reappeared, and it led them. The star led them to Bethlehem, and it led them to the house where Joseph and Mary and Jesus were living. It's interesting, you know, how that we even become so familiar with the Christmas story, and we've, we've discussed, discussed this in, in, in various ways, but we realize, don't we, that the wise men were not necessarily three, probably very unlikely it was three. Certainly this entourage that traveled was far more than three. You're talking about people who are important to, to kingdoms. They may have been kings themselves, and so they need people that protect them. They're going to have to They're going to have, to have uh, uh, people to help carry the gifts that were brought. They're going to need protection. They're going to need food for everybody that's traveling. Anybody, anybody, if you pack up, you just pack up and you're going to fly somewhere for three days or drive somewhere for three days. Just how much do you need to pack? It's amazing how much we think we need to pack. And we do that. Now, listen, they're going a long way, and it's risky, right? It's risky. And they got to bring their food and the, whole, and the whole deal. There's no restaurants to stop by. And they move into this place, and they're coming. And that's one of the reasons why they were so, the place was so disturbed. <laughs> the king was disturbed. You walk into the king, this great entourage. And it's, and it's also very likely that they didn't come in on camels. These are Persians. I mean, they probably came in on Persian horses. And they're coming they're come to that city. And Persia was one of the, um, Rome wasn't the only power in the world. 
Persia was an incredible power, and they were threatening on the borders of Rome. And Herod uh, should have felt comfortable and confident in his role. You know, he's got the authority of Rome behind him. But all of a sudden, here comes these Persians, this group of who knows how many. There, there could have as well been 300 altogether, as, as, as more likely than there would have been three. They're coming in all together and, and talking about their servants and those helping them and caring for them and providing it. And they come in on a bunch of horses, perhaps, and they come into that city and they say, hey, where's he, this king of the Jews? How I many know oh, that shakes things up? It was not only Herod that shook up, but the whole people, the whole, the whole city was shaken by it. It's interesting, isn't it, the Bible? So they left, they left Herod, and Herod says, go find him. And uh, when you find him, let me know about it. He was not interested, not for, not for reasons of worship. So they go there, the star leads them. And there again, folks, we don't know what type of star this was. And we don't know how, how they were led. One of the great ancient stories, tradition, is that by the time when they got to Bethlehem, as they, they looked into the deep well, they saw the, that the star was directly over that, and they could see the reflection. That's how they knew they were there. You know, they were, they were smart. <laughs> I mean, these people that build these, built these buildings without any modern technology, I mean, I mean, they knew mathematics, they knew geometry, they knew all of this stuff, and they did it, right? How would you know? It's like, well, or you could, or maybe they wanted to fine-tune it. How many know you could fine-tune? I've got a I've got a, just a cup here with water in the bottom of it. And by, by looking at that, I can be directed and know exactly when I am under the light. When I hold this level and it gets into the middle, I know I'm under the light. I was, I was, I was misreading this. <laughs> You got to be able to read it. You got to be a wise man to do this. You see that? See that, Pastor Chase? Come here, look at this. You see that? No. You see the light? Huh? You see that? Okay, yeah. You got it? Yeah. You see that? So it's not it's not distorted by being able to bring things. There's nothing in from the side. You have to be. It's got to be directly directly over it, right? So there's a way it could have been done. That way, they knew how to do things. And whether they got to that place and all of a sudden they saw the stars directly above them, that's a house, or whether it was some sort of just supernatural star that, that hovered at a, at a lower level than the other stars and hovered close enough for them to tell, somehow they knew where it was. And the bottom line is the star led them from the east to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, to the house. This happened sometime after, likely weeks, if not a year or more, up to two years that they had come because you see that they find Jesus not. The wise men don't find Jesus in a manger, in a stable. They find him in a house because it had happened later. But the main thing is they found him. The wise men sought him. They found him. And they worshiped him. A Christmas journey where the star led them to Jesus Christ. Not only the king of the Jews, but the savior of the world. And how do you know he come as a 
as a lamb the first time. And he is fully king, but his time to step into that role fully has not come until he's coming the second time. Amen? Lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Amen? So keep your heads lifted up. God's sending a message. How many of you are glad that God's sending messages? And let's pray that through this Christmas season that people will see Jesus, that they'll seek him, they'll find him, and when they find him that they'll worship him, that they'll worship him.